welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast. This is the fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I am your host, Cody McBroom. I am a father, a husband, an entrepreneur, a leader, a coach, a content creator. I am on this earth to help people get better. Quite literally, my name, I'm Irish and Scottish and stuff like that. Uh, we actually don't really know. It's a, it's a combination of things out there. But in Gaelic, my name means the helper. And that's what I'm here to do. That's what I'm put on earth to do. I'm, I'm here to help people make their lives better. And uh, fitness is the vehicle in which I do so. So I typically, I focus on that more than anything. I focus on helping people uh, improve their life, become better at life, become better for life. And I do it through the vehicle of fitness and nutrition. So I am a nutritionist and a trainer by trade, but uh, you can see me as the content creator and the coach that is here to help you grow and help you improve. Um, and I'm happy to have you here with me today. Very, very excited and uh, just grateful. I feel very blessed and just grateful and just so pumped that you were listening to this right now because the fact that you are somebody I may or may not know and you are driving somewhere, you're lifting, you're cooking, you're doing something, right? I don't know what you're doing. Maybe you're on a walk, whatever it is. And the fact that I'm in your headphones, I'm on your speaker, like, I can't tell you how surreal that is to me every time I think about that jumping on the podcast. And, and so I always love to show some gratitude. And I just want to let you know that I truly am thankful to be in this position and uh, for you listening to this podcast. So thank you, first and foremost. Now, today is a Q&A. So we're going to dive right in. We're going to try to crank through some of these questions and just deliver some value. Um, and the first question is fantastic. The first question is actually from a client of mine, Bennett. Shout out to Bennett. Um, and this is actually something that she was just emailing me about. Like I actually just took this question straight from the email she sent me and I was like, you know what, I'm going to use this for the podcast because this is a great question. So the question is, uh, it's about progressive overload and volume. So she said, I'm focused on building muscle and progressive overload. So she's working on building muscle. We're in a lean gaining phase right now. And she's also obviously trying to progress in the gym. When I increase the weight, I am not able to do as many reps and overall volume decreases. So would you recommend adding a drop set to maintain or increase volume week to week? Or do I just need to get more comfortable with having some weeks with lower volume, knowing that over time volume will increase as reps increase at the new weight? Example, barbell squat last week was 85 pounds times 10 reps. This week, I increased the weight to 105, but I only got six reps, which means technically that's a 26% drop in volume. Really good question and really technical question, um, but I think it was great. And I think it's relevant because a lot of times people look at volume the wrong way more than anything, and that's why I think it's a great question. I think a lot of times what people do is they just think of total reps or total sets. Um, so... It's great that you're thinking of volume in a more specific manner than just saying, oh, the number of reps is 15, so it's high volume, or the number of sets is four, so it's high volume. Because the reality is, is, is and this is why you can build muscle in any rep range. It doesn't matter if you're going three to six reps or six to 10 reps or 10 to 20 reps. If you generate enough volume, what you're doing is you're having a total amount of work done in the gym. And during that work in the gym, you're creating mechanical tension. Mechanical tension is what builds muscle. So volume is just how much of that we're actually generating, right? So if we think of um, how, do you, how do you have like a, a strong investment portfolio? How do you have a strong or big bank account? How do you have wealth, right? It's, it's money. Money is the resource. Money is the item that we're tracking. 
And if you have a large bank account, you need a lot of that money, right? Money is the, the, uh, the metric or the result in the amount or the size of the account or the size of the investment portfolio, depending on how many things you're investing in. That is what causes wealth, right? You can have a lot of money, but it doesn't mean you're wealthy, right? It, it, when you diversify the money and, and so on and so forth, then I'm not going to get into a, a wealth tangent. But the point is, is that mechanical tension is really what builds muscle. And that's what we're after. And I say that to say, if somebody, for example, is doing 85 pounds times 10, but it's not really creating that much mechanical tension because it's not hard enough. And it's not, it's, it, it's, it's a weight that they've done before many times and it's not progressive. It hasn't been progressed in a long time. Then they're not even doing step one and that's having enough mechanical tension. Now, if we do three sets or four sets or we do 10 reps or 15 reps or a heavier load for six reps, this is where we look at how much volume is actually done, right? And that's where we get total amount of mechanical tension created over time equals muscle growth. Now for you, Bennett, I see that we have 85 times 10 and this week you went to 105 times six. Um, so if she's literally doing the math, what she's doing is 85 times 10 and or times sets. Cause technically volume, if we're trying to look at total volume accumulated in a training session or in a week, in a month, in a set, whatever it is, uh, or an exercise, we would go sets times reps times weight. So you would go, if she did four sets of 10 at 85 pounds, that's four times 10 times 85, right? And so let's say I'm going to pull out my calculator and actually do this while we're recording. But if we look at that and we go, okay, so she did four sets of 10 at 85 pounds. That's four times 10 times 85. That's 3,400 pounds of weight move. And you could say that's 30, like a score of 3,400 in, in terms of mechanical tension, let's say. Um, and then we look at 105 time, or I'm sorry, four times six, doesn't really matter, times 105, um, that's 2,500, right? So we went from 3,400 to 2,500. So that's 900 pounds less. That's a score that's 900 less technically. However, the reality is, is there's two aspects to this. Number one, there's a lot of times where they're going to get more out of that six rep set because there's a few reasons. And there's, there's a couple terms times where this wouldn't matter and there's sometimes where it would matter a lot so in regards of direct literal volume on paper we just said 85 times 10 is actually technically more right so that should on paper lead to more growth normally it would all things created equal and if things were dialed in and perfect however they're not and that's just not how things work so technically we don't we're not going to give it that much credit essentially i don't know how to how to phrase that properly but essentially if you're, if you've grown used to doing 85 pounds for 10, you haven't progressed it. It means it's not a progressive stimulus. And so although 105 times six times four, uh, the 105 pounds times six is more weight, but it's less volume technically, it might be creating more mechanical tension. So if we have 2,500 pounds moved, but that 2,500 pounds was accomplished with four sets of six really effective and really hard sets that created a lot of mechanical tension because that load was so heavy for you that it pushed you closer to failure, which means your RIR or your proximity to failure, your reps and reserve is smaller. The distance between where you finish your set and complete failure is a smaller gap compared to 85 times 10. 
85 times 10 might create more metabolite accumulation, for example. You might feel a little bit more of a burn, maybe, right? And so maybe that burn makes you feel like it's really hard, but that isn't as significant for mechanical tension compared to overall load and stretch on the muscle. Because if that weight is heavier and you went into that squat, now you have a heavier load on that deep point of the squat, which is going to be more load and tension on the stretched position of the movement. That's going to create more mechanical tension, whether you feel a bigger pump, quote unquote, or not. So there's things we have to kind of tease out of this to understand that, yes, technically on paper, 85 times 10 might lead to more uh, total volume, but it's only going to be uh, more advantageous if it is truly effective volume. And it is more effective volume compared to the set of six at 105 pounds, which may have been um, heavier and less total volume, but maybe it created more mechanical tension. Because again, this is why I like, and I'm a firm believer that at a certain point, you do need to progress your volume in order to continue growing. That's what the research has shown. And there's a lot of advocates of like lower volume training. But the reality is, is that Adding sets, adding reps, doing more volume typically leads to more growth so long as you are are truly having effective reps and sets in all your in all your training, right? If all your reps are pushing it to that point, like it, the last few reps of every set are really pushing it, um, and this is kind of a cheesy term, but like the effective reps, and it's cheesy because when we say effective reps, let's say the last three to five reps of a set is pushing you closer and closer to failure, and that's really difficult. Those are the effective reps. Well, that's kind of like, suggesting that the rest of the set didn't matter that much. And I don't agree with that. I think that the whole set matters because even the sets leading up to those quote unquote effective reps, those are why those last reps are so effective because you had to push through those reps to get to that really close and near to failure proximity. Right. Anyway, I'm kind of diving off on a tangent. The point is, is that I think what you have to focus on is being able to do as much training that is highly stimulative creating a lot of mechanical tension and allows you to progress. So even in this situation, if we look at this movement and we look at this, this scenario, we can also look at it and say, well, technically, even if let's say it's, it's all created equal, let's say there's more volume on 85 times 10 times four sets, but you create a little bit more mechanical tension on 105 times six reps times four or none at all. Either you create a little bit more and yes, the one's more volume, but you create more mechanical tension here. Now they're even playing field. One's not better than the other for, for muscle growth. Or um, you do create more mechanical tension with the sets of six. So it's actually more stimulative for muscle growth, even though it's more, less volume. In the situation where it's not more stimulative because maybe the mechanical tension created is equal. Um, the reality is, is that going 105 for six, you're going to have neurological strength gains. So your skill of the movement and your strength is going to increase from the heavier load. Because when we lift heavier with lower reps, we typically are training more of that neurological pathway to build strength. When we do that, that's going to lead to, to a uh, more progressive overload from a strength perspective. So you do that, and then next week you get seven reps, and then eight reps, and reps. Like before you know it in a month, you're doing 10 reps at 105 when a month ago you were doing 10 reps at 85. So even if for a couple weeks it's not more stimulative, it's just equally stimulative, eventually it does become more stimulative because you've progressed the load on it. And that's a big thing to remember because you can't 
just continue to add reps on sets and you can't continue to lift the same amount of load. At some point you have to get stronger at the exercise and in the rep range that you're sitting in, in order for it to be progressively more stimulative for muscle growth and to create more mechanical tension over time, right? That's really what we're talking about here. And that's what the main thing is. Um, and that's, what's going to benefit you and what's going to lead to the most growth for you specifically, uh, more muscle growth, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think that, and you know, there's even research on what's called reverse linear, and this would be a, a linear progression would say you go 10 reps at 85, then you go eight reps at 95, then you go six reps at 105, and then you come back to 10 reps and maybe you're not doing 85 anymore, you're doing 90. So it's kind of like a ladder and then you climb back up the top, right? You walk down the stairs, go back up, walk down the stairs. Every time you come back to 10 reps, you're doing a little bit more. So 10, 8, 6, 10, 8, 6, or you can do 7, 5, 3, 5, 3, 1, 6, 4, 2. There's a million ways to do it. The point is, is your reps go down, your weight goes up. Volume drops, intensity increases week after week, and then you cycle back to be able to do more intensity load at a higher volume reps. Um, that's a typical linear progression. A reverse linear would be the opposite. You would go 85 times 10, then you would go like 80 pounds times 12, and then 75 times 14. And then you come back down to 10, and hopefully you're not doing 85 anymore, you're doing 90, right? You you do get a little bit heavier as you go. But the idea is that your reps actually increase and the weight drops week to week. And what they found is that's actually less uh, productive for muscle growth. So reverse linear actually didn't perform as well as linear progression in a study comparing the two for muscle growth, which is crazy because if you think about it, that shows on paper each week they are doing more weight. So if we were just going off of just volume on paper based on research, then we would assume dropping your weight each week and increasing your reps every week would actually lead to more muscle growth because you're doing more volume by the week, literally, if you're doing the sets times reps times load equation. However, what they found is that that's not the case. And the reason that's not the case is likely because when we get higher and higher reps, it wasn't leading to more mechanical tension and breakdown of the muscle tissue. That's got to be my best guess. They didn't do biopsies that explain that or anything like that that I'm aware of, but that's what I would probably guess. All right, next question. This is uh, from Instagram, Heather Ag or Heather A-G-G, username. Tips on maintaining muscle mass while doing keto. So my first uh, suggestion is to not do keto if your goal is building muscle or transforming your physique. I'm just going to be honest. I think it's not a very productive strategy from a diet protocol. I think the, the only utilization or practical reason to implement a keto diet if your goals are uh, muscle tissue, fat loss, um, anything like that, right? Just physique focus in general. The only time I th find it necessary is if those are your goals, but you run into a medical concern that would, uh, be aided, right? Like aided as in it would be helped by like, if you added in a keto protocol or like did a keto block where you entered into a keto diet for a month or two months or however long, that it might actually help you work through the medical issue to move forward with your physique goals. So if your physique goals are being prevented or stopped or or um, just you're not progressing on your physique goals because you are, I don't know, diagnosed with something or you're having a blood glucose issue, whatever it may be, then it might be useful. There might be a use for that. I also think that there's times where if somebody is uh, extremely obese, like your goal might be fat loss and muscle growth and you have a hundred pounds to lose and maybe you have insulin resistance, you have some metabolic disorders, it might be a great protocol for you there too. Um, 
But typically, it's just not the best approach. And it's been shown in research so many times that, one, fat loss isn't going to be different if your calories are equated anyway. Two, for building muscle, it underperforms, and that's been shown. For performance in CrossFit, performance in sports, running, endurance, all these kind of athletic endeavors. Um, I don't think they've done anything on bodybuilding because I doubt a bodybuilder is going to participate in a study that, that forces them to do keto. Um, but it, it underperforms on all other metrics of performance and strength. Right. And I got to imagine that it would be the exact same thing with muscle growth. Um, your muscles are 60 to 65% water. So you're going to get flat pretty quickly because carbohydrates are what bring that water and store that water in the muscle tissue. Um, and you need that. So um, tips on maintaining muscle mass during a cut is going to be Strength train, because strength training, uh, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. It's pretty true because if you're not creating tension or resistance on the muscle, you're not going to spike muscle protein synthesis through the act of training. And if you're not spiking muscle protein synthesis through the act of training, um, you're not using it and you're going to lose it. Uh, but you, you quite literally just aren't sending the signal to maintain the muscle tissue. The other thing is to eat enough protein. Protein is the other thing that spikes muscle protein synthesis. And so if you are not eating enough protein, you're not going to have uh, uh, elevated muscle protein synthesis levels on a regular basis. If you are if you don't have that, most likely it's going to be difficult to maintain muscle on a cut. Now, if we transition from saying maintain muscle on a cut to maintain muscle on a keto diet, it becomes difficult because number one, Technically, with keto, you can't have a lot of protein because it'll take you out of ketosis. So if we can't have much protein, I mean, we're literally not taking in the number one nutrient for muscle retention. Now, if we actually look at the literature on what nutrients are muscle sparing and nutrient, uh, I should say protein sparing, it's carbohydrates. So when we don't have enough protein present, the macronutrient that helps us maintain muscle tissue and or build muscle tissue while in deficit when protein's low, is carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are a, a, a protein-sparing nutrient, which means in the absence of protein, carbohydrates will help you maintain that muscle. Keto diet, you can't have carbs either. So this becomes to, to be a bigger and bigger problem. Now, the next thing is that when we have carbohydrates in the diet, we fill the muscle with glycogen. Glycogen is carbohydrates, and it's the stored form of carbohydrates. So we have glycogen, which is carbohydrates, stored in the muscle cell, that is going to help store nutrients, creatine, sodium, water. It's going to store everything you need to make sure your muscle is recovering, making sure your muscle is full and it's hydrated. And when it's hydrated and it's full, you get a better pump, you have better blood flow, you have better contractions, you can be more explosive in your training. So that's that anaerobic energy system. So carbohydrates help you produce ATP. Uh, ATP, uh, adenosine triphosphate, is basically the it's the anaerobic energy source. So it's what our body uses to be explosive, to be strong, to be powerful, to contract muscles hard. When we have carbohydrates in the diet, we produce better and higher levels of ATP, which allows us to train harder. The other thing is that a hydrated muscle is less likely to get cramping. Um, creatine is also going to be better off with carbohydrates present. And creatine helps prevent cramping, injuries, strains. So we have all these reasons why training might actually suffer if we don't have enough carbohydrates in the diet. And if we're our training is suffering. That means we're training less. We're accomplishing less volume or we're not able to lift as heavy. Now, if we're on a keto diet and we can't lift as much, we can't do as much volume and, or we're not lifting as heavy because the keto diet is, is making our performance suffer. Well, guess what? We're not going to be able to maintain muscle as well because all the ways to maintain muscle when a deficit are enough protein and enough training. And then maybe some carbs in there as well, all of which are cut out of the diet when we do a keto diet. Now, if you also add in the fact that you're doing a deficit, you didn't say that here, but let's say that you are doing a keto 
diet for fat loss. Now you have to be in a deficit to lose fat on keto. Well, now it's even worse because when you go into a calorie deficit, research shows that muscle protein synthesis drops just from the deficit itself, right? So now you need more than normal protein. This is why a lot of times we bump protein up higher than the typical average, you know, 0.8 to 1 gram per pound. There's value in going 1.1, 1.2, unless you have a lot of weight to lose and you can go closer to a pound uh, or go off of your goal weight, let's say. But all of that is out of the picture with keto because you have to have a lower protein diet with keto. Um, and some people will do like a modified keto where they have high protein, but it's really not keto. That's just a low carb diet, let's be honest. So this becomes a problem because now not only do we have not have much protein in the diet and we're not able to train as hard, both of which drop muscle protein synthesis down. Guess what else? The deficit itself, the calorie deficit drops muscle protein synthesis. And the only way to avoid the calorie uh, inducing drop of muscle protein synthesis while dieting is to make sure you're training hard, which means you got to have carbs in the diet and to eat more than enough protein because you need a little bit extra to counteract that, to counterbalance that. So there's a lot of reasons why keto is just not that great. And especially if you're dieting and wanting to maintain your muscle tissue. So, um, I didn't give you any tips on maintaining muscle mass while doing keto because, to be honest with you, I think you're shooting yourself in the foot, if I'm being completely honest. I think that the best approach is to not go keto unless you have a medical condition. And in that regard, what I would say is, like, if you have a medical condition that requires keto, it's probably going to lower stress significantly. If the keto diet fixes or helps manage the medical condition, well, now your stress and recovery is better from managing that, and you can actually probably train harder than you would have otherwise. So in that sense... It's actually a good thing for muscle tissue, but that's literally only in the case that you have a medical issue. Otherwise, I don't see any value in the keto diet. Um, not to mention, it's just hard to adhere to, right? Okay, go through a couple more. Uh, next one is from Sabra Tyler. She said uh, she's a female, intermediate ex experience. Uh, she's female with intermediate experience, seriously lifting for three to four years and looking to do my first lean bulk. I want to make sure I take the right route. I'm 5'8", about 165 pounds, leanish, but still probably around 28% body fat. I train three days per week and do one to two hit cardio days a week. I want to gain five or so pounds of muscle with minimal fat gain or possibly lose body fat while doing it, if possible. But I am definitely more focused on muscle gain. How should I do it? So three to four years, so intermediate lifter, female, wants to build muscle, 5'8", 165 pounds, um, not overweight, not super lean, three days per week training right now, one to two hit cardio days, wants to put on muscle, what should they do? And can they put on muscle while losing fat? So first to tackle the recomp question, can I do this while losing fat? Can I build muscle while losing fat? And the answer of recomp is pretty simple. It depends. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. With a recomp, typically what we see is that if you have been out of the gym for a while, obviously, you can probably recomp, right? If you've been out of the gym for quite a while, whether it's from being sick or travel or whatever, maybe injury, when we're out of the gym for an extended period of time and we come back to the gym, we see recomp. And it's primarily because we're seeing muscle memory. So muscle tissue that was depleted is, is regaining and you might spark some new gains. Um, and you might be able to do so in a deficit. Uh, the other situation would be if somebody is obese. So if you have a lot of body fat to lose, 50 plus pounds, there's a lot of times where you can see a recomp because you have so much energy reserves with the body fat on your body. It's going to be easy for your body to want it's, I mean, it's very ideal for your body to burn body fat at that point, right? Cause it knows it's going to do better and feel better. So your body will naturally burn body fat and you're going to build muscle in that process pretty easily. 
Um, so that's definitely possible if you have a lot of weight to lose. The other scenario would be if uh, you're a beginner or intermediate and you're just doing everything subpar. And I don't say advanced because I don't look at beginner, intermediate, or advanced as how long have you been in the gym, even though some people do. There's like the biological time of the the levels of training experience, right? If people will say like, if you've been in the gym for less than three years, you're a beginner. If you've been in the gym for three to five years, you're intermediate and five or more years, you're an advanced lifter. It's pretty common. However, I would say that I've met a lot of people who have been in the gym for seven years doing everything wrong and being off and on, not very serious, not very committed. So it it really depends on, uh, in my opinion, experience level really depends on the amount of knowledge and education you have and how well you're able to train. Like how good are you at training? Right. You can swing a baseball. Like I've been swinging baseball bats since I was in first grade playing T-ball. And guess what? I'm 31 now. That means I've been doing it for two decades. I still suck at baseball. <laughs> so like I'm still a beginner. Right. Like I've been playing pickup basketball with friends and in P class, all that stuff my whole life. I'm terrible at basketball. So am I advanced because I've just been doing it for a long? No. You're an advanced lifter when you have the skill to become an advanced lifter. You're an advanced lifter when your form is flawless. You're an advanced lifter when you understand body mechanics and body awareness to adjust things in the gym based on how you're feeling that day or how your body moves. You're an advanced lifter when you can give other people recommendations in the gym. So your experience level as a lifter has nothing to do, in my opinion, with how long you've been lifting. It has everything to do with how good you are at lifting. And with that being said, she said she's intermediate. I believe her. Um, I I know her well enough to think that she's definitely intermediate, um, three to four years of lifting first lean bulk, want to do it the right way. Five eights, 165 pounds, 28% ish body fat, three days per week in the gym, lifting one to two days per week doing hit cardio, um, trying to gain five pounds of muscle. Can they recomp? This person might not be able to recomp very quickly. Maybe I'd have to look at the training. Now, The first recommendation I would give you for lean gaining is to increase your volume. I don't think three days a week is enough to put on serious muscle tissue unless you're a beginner. So if you're an intermediate or more, and it doesn't mean if you're a beginner, you can't do four days a week. I think you absolutely can. But I would say you need to do four to five days a week. Typically, for anybody who is an intermediate or advanced lifter, you need at least four days a week in the gym. I think five days is the sweet spot for most intermediate to advanced lifters. And then there's some people who need to go into a six day a week, something like a push pull legs every once in a while in order to really spark some new gains. But most people can't stay there for too long um, unless they're not training hard enough, in my opinion, because when you're training hard enough, you're pushing close to failure. You're learning how to create a lot of mechanical tension. Going back to that, that tip earlier Six days a week in the gym is brutal, and you're just not going to be able to recover from that. I I don't even do it. It's very difficult for me to do it. So I I typically stay away from that. Five days a week is a good spot for intermediate to advance. I would say you got to do at least four days a week in the gym. I don't think three days is going to cut it if you're intermediate. um, Definitely not if you're advanced. So I would bump up your volume. Now, knowing that I would bump up your volume, I would say, can you recomp a little bit? Maybe. You might be able to because that is going to increase energy expenditure. Um, It's also going to increase uh, the the amount of muscle you you gain. The other thing to remember too is like technically it, it kind of depends on how you look at recomp or if you're trying to lose body fat. There's a difference between losing body fat and lowering your body fat percentage because if we put you through a lean gaining phase and you strictly build muscle, there is no added body fat, right? You're in a controlled deficit or surplus, um, barely surplus, right? You find maintenance and you just barely go like three to five percent over that, just a small nudge up into a surplus zone of calories. If you're at that point, well, then you're not going to be putting on a lot of body fat. If you're not putting on body fat, 
that means that you are building any pounds gained on the scale is pure muscle. If it's pure muscle, that's a really good thing because guess what? Not only are you just building pure muscle, but also you're lowering your body fat percentage because if you go from 165 pounds to 167 and just those two pounds were just muscle tissue, most likely that means your percentage of body fat is going to drop a little bit. On the, on the flip side, if you gain two pounds of muscle and lose one pound of fat, so you're still leaning more towards muscle growth, but you're recomping a little bit, it's going to be even bigger percentage of body fat dropped. So sometimes we look at it like, is the total amount of weight on my frame muscle, more muscle than body fat? That means I'm going to drop my body fat percentage, even if I didn't lose body fat off my body is what I'm getting at. Um, and we may be able to accomplish that or a little recomp with somebody like you, cause I see it all the time and, and I can't be for sure until I see the actual training program. But there's a lot of times where I work with people and we take over their nutrition, uh, and they jump in the tailored trainer or we take over their training and nutrition. Uh, and we do both of them for them custom and they see recomp simply because we overview and we're like, Hey, this is l- not optimal. Your, your training is subpar right now. And we don't expect it to be perfect because you're not a coach, let's say to the client but this is why you're here. This is why you're hiring us. This is why we're taking over. And when we take it over, we can optimize their training. We can make sure that they understand how to push closer to failure, how to maximize mechanical tension. We can review their training videos. We can say, send me a couple of exercises this week, and we're going to work on these two, these two movements. And we can maximize their, their uh, ability to contract and stretch the muscle and to create tension in that movement. So we can essentially advance their training or what they're getting out of the training because they're coming to us and working with us on a one-on-one basis. And that helps a lot, like a lot, a lot. So, um, it just, yeah. So point being is it really depends. Like not only do I think you need more days a week in the gym, but also you might be able to recomp if we're able to, uh, like look at your training and optimize it. So if your training is perfect and optimal, then of course that's not the case. And we would just go towards muscle growth. Now, um, the only other thing I would say is like, again, so you're going to go find maintenance, go into a three to 5% surplus. That surplus is going to be created strictly through carbohydrates. And every time you bump up your car, your calories, you're going to try to do it just via carbs. It's very rare that I go into a lean bulk and I want to build up somebody's fat. It just doesn't really, it's not conducive towards muscle growth unless you are in a hormonally compromised position. So typically what I'm doing is I'm finding their maintenance. I'm going to put their fat in a place that is on the low to moderate side. So it's uh, low enough to not worry about excess fat storage. It's low enough to give me plenty of room for extra carbs because that's going to fuel more muscle growth. And it's, it's, but it's still high enough to make sure a, that we support our hormones. And that's like the, if I'm just looking at hormones, I'm going, what is the least amount we need in, excuse me, in order to support hormonal health? So I don't know off the top of my head, but let's say 165 pounds is uh, 40 grams of fat. Like we need at least 40 grams of fat a day to support hormones. I'm probably going to bump it up to 50 right? And and I say that to say, it's just going to be more flexible. So we want, and it depends on the person, right? So regardless if somebody is like, for example, 150 pounds, 60, 70, 80, 90, 40 grams is low because of what our food selection is, right? Obviously the more calories you have, the harder this is, but I know for me, like it's hard to stay below 45 or 50, but if my carbs go from 300 to where they're at right now, which is like four, uh, seven, is it 400? I'm filming a vlog today. I can't believe I forget where my macros are at. Um, my carbs are super high right now, but I still have no issue keeping my fats down. Um, I eat the same thing every day. So I just literally space out. Yeah. So 470 grams of carbs, is what I'm eating per day. 
But like I can keep my fats under 60 grams almost just as easily at 470 as I can at 400 or at 300, right? Because my fats are coming from fat sources and my protein sources. My carbohydrate sources, when I increase them, they're generally low fat options. So I'm looking at fruit, rice, potato, oats, cream of rice. Those are like my main go-tos. If I have any type of oats or whole grain bread or anything, that's the only carb source that's going to bring a little bit of fat into the diet. So it's really easy to keep fats low as long as you're getting enough to be somewhat flexible and to maintain your hormones. So we have this approach of, okay, I'm at maintenance. I'm getting about a gram per pound of protein and I'm making sure in honestly, I think there's value in going a little bit above that, even for gaining phase. So let's say one to 1.2 grams per pound, depending on who you are and your preference. And then we have the minimum amount of fat that you need for hormonal support. Then I'm going to go to my maintenance with carbohydrates. Once I find my maintenance, I'm going to increase my calories by 5% and I'm going to do that via carbohydrates. So easy math, not so easy for me because I still have to bust out my calculator because I'm terrible at math, but 2000 calories just for easy math times 5% is hundred, hundred divided by four. Cause there's four calories per gram of carb is 25 grams carbs. So now we bump up carbs, 25 grams. That's your surplus. And it seems so tiny. Now there's some people who and we assess the client in many ways, and you can even just ask somebody, and you can ask yourself this. Am I the type of person that burns through calories quickly? Like, am I a very fidgety person? Am I a person that stays lean really easily? It's hard for me to build muscle, hard for me to gain weight, maintain weight really easily. You might want to go with a 10% surplus, maybe even a 15 right away. And then all your adjustments from there on are going to be five. But the person who's going for a lean bulk, usually this is the case with females too, they're more cautious about this. We're going to go 5%. It's going to be a small amount of carbs. And then we're going to bump up our calories by three to 5% via carbohydrates. Every single time our weight is just stalled and it's not growing because your weight should be going up. Even if it's as slow as 0.25% of your total body weight per week, that's going to be really slow. But if you think about that, that is what uh, a 200 pound person, that's half a pound. So at 165 pounds, it's even, it's even less. I mean, you're barely gaining a pound. You're not even gaining a pound per month. So it's slow, but here's the thing. Eating food doesn't build muscle. You just need a little bit extra in order to recover from really hard training. Really hard training, and a lot of it being volume, is what stimulates muscle growth. So if we're doing enough training with really stimulative and brutal mechanical tension, right? We're creating a lot of mechanical tension on the, on the muscle every, every session, every week, every month. At the end of the month, we need to make sure that we're in a net calorie surplus to recover enough because if I don't recover properly from today, how am I going to do my training session tomorrow? If I can't do my training session at its full capacity tomorrow, then I'm not stimulating muscle growth to its full capacity in that session, right? So really what we're doing here is we're trying to nudge in a small enough surplus to just support hard training session to session to session to session, right? And that's why I always say building muscles like layering paint. If I have this table in front of me and I do a black strip of paint, it's black and it's not really going to be raised off the, the countertop very much. And then I paint over it again, still just as black and it's still just as low to the table. It's not really bumping up or raising off the table much. Six months of doing that every day, I'm going to have a stack of dark dried paint, literally 
Because if you keep painting the same strip over and over again every day for months on end, guess what? The dried paint starts to expand and harden. And then now it's growing more and more and more. And now I have a stack. So building muscles like layering paint in the sense that you got to just check off the boxes and do the work day after day after day. And there might not be a ton of changes, but it's kind of one of those things you just got to salute to your coach, do the grind work, and get it done week after week if you truly want to build and develop that physique. So I hope that question helps you say, brother, it was a really good question. Um, in fact, these were all really good questions. I think they're all almost all training. Um, and I think, uh, outside of the, the maintaining while doing keto, I think this is going to be a really productive Q and a, I hope that this gave you a lot of good answers. I know it's a quicker one. Uh, I had to keep this one a little bit short today, but, uh, nonetheless, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I again, really appreciate you guys being here. And I, I just want to say, Two quick things. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't go subscribe to the YouTube channel, go subscribe to the YouTube channel. We have a lot of good content coming out there. The shorts are every single day. I'm pumping out shorts. We're doing a vlog every week and we're going to start putting out educational content on there as well, where I can dive into um, basically a topic. Let's say I do a whole entire uh, episode or, or video on keto dieting and muscle growth, like we talked about today, but we're going to record it for a podcast and a video so you can actually watch it or listen to it. So we're getting ready to prep for that and I'm excited about it. But nonetheless, go check out the other channels, the Instagram, the team Instagram, the team website, the blog. If you need help with your coaching, if you want to take your training, your nutrition, your physique to the next level, go over to taylorcoachingmethod.com, click the yellow button. You can apply for coaching, get a free call with myself or one of the coaches and find out exactly how we can help you get out of where you're at right now to help you get to where you want to be by eliminating the things that are holding you back from getting there. We'll help you bridge that gap. Once again, I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. If you enjoyed this show, go leave it a five-star rating and review. I'll catch you next time.